0: Freedom. I wonder what that word means to you. I wonder what thoughts or images it conjures up. Freedom is something we prize, something we celebrate. Freedom is something we're grateful for when we have it and long for when we don't. When we look at the situation in Ukraine, when we think of the Christians being persecuted around the world... We recognize that in some ways we have a lot of freedom in the UK. But I wonder if there are other, more personal areas where freedom is much sought after. I wonder what we would like to be set free from in our lives. Could it be an addiction of some sort? Could it be from low self esteem or lack of self worth? Could it be from anxiety? Loneliness or depression? Could it be from the nagging sense of regret? From guilt or shame? Could it be from illness? Or the fear of death? I don't know what it is for you. But I guess we would all love to experience freedom in one sense or another. The gospel tells us that complete freedom can only be found in Jesus. I wonder what you know about Hanukkah. Hanukkah is a festival celebrated by the Jews every year round about the time we celebrate Christmas. Hanukkah in many ways is a festival of freedom. Let me tell you a bit about it. In the year 167 BC, The Greek king, Antiochus Epiphanes, smashed into Jerusalem. You see, Antiochus' empire was fading and he decided that he would do anything he could to bolster it. And his plan was to eradicate the Jewish religion and force Greek culture onto the people instead. And that's exactly what he attempted. He stormed into Israel, outlawed Judaism and banned circumcision. He then ransacked the temple and looted its sacred objects. And once the temple was empty, he set up a statue to Zeus and ordered the people to sacrifice pigs at the altar. It was the most blasphemous and offensive thing he could think of. Within a short time of Antiochus' assault, many Jews had been killed, many more were captured, and the beautiful city of Jerusalem had been trampled on. The situation of the Jews was horrendous. Three years passed by and by the end of them many Jews were beginning to give up hope. Some had even jumped ship and begun collaborating with the Greeks in the attempt for an easier life. In the circumstances it was an understandable thing to do. Yet there were others in the land who had sworn themselves to resist. Indeed three years down the line revolution was in the air. The spark eventually came from a Jewish priest and his five sons. Suddenly there was a reprise attack which led to a wonderful victory. The Greek tyrant was overthrown and the city was liberated. And the ordinary people were so thrilled with their newfound freedom, they decided to make one of the priest's sons their king. His name was Judas Maccabeus or Judas Judas. The hammer, as he was better known. And the first thing that Judas the hammer did after his startling victory was to purify the temple. And it took place three years to the day from the attack in the first place. Under his leadership, the people began to offer the proper sacrifices. They relit the lamps and they prayed to God that such a thing would never happen again. And at this ceremony, rededicating the temple, the command was kept that a festival must be kept each year to commemorate this great occasion. In Hebrew, it is called Hanukkah, which means dedication. Every year then, the Jews celebrate Hanukkah by lighting candles as a reminder of that candle in the temple that was relit. The festival reminds them of what is possible if they stay dedicated to God, like Judas the hammer was. Hanukkah, then, is all about freedom. It's about freedom from captivity. It is about dedication and the importance of the temple, and it is about the qualities that make a true Jewish king. They are faithful courageous and zealous for God these are very important themes and this year Jews around the world will begin celebrating Hanukkah on the 7th of December now why do I tell you all that well because it is vital background if we're going to understand this passage because just listen again to how it started verse 22 then came the festival of dedication, that is Hanukkah, at Jerusalem. It was winter and Jesus was in the temple courts walking through Solomon's colonnade. Do you see, after all that Jesus has already said and done, Jesus deliberately walked through the temple during Hanukkah. This is a very provocative act. And immediately we see the questions that arise from the people. The Jews gather around him and say, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. Can you see what they're asking? Jesus, are you going to liberate us or not? You see, sadly, Rome had taken over from the Maccabeans in 69 BC and the Jews had resented it ever since. So Jesus, are you going to release us from Roman captivity? Are you going to be like Judas the Hammer and smash Caesar? Are you going to lead Israel to be a great nation once more? Are you going to make our temple the place that people from all over the world travel to, to meet with God? Come on Jesus, are you really the Messiah? And if you are, when are you going to set us free? Now, it's important we realize that Jesus has already given the answer to all these questions. He's already stated clearly who He is and backed up these pronouncements with powerful actions. Just think of all that we've read together in this Gospel over the last few months. Jesus has said that He is the bread of life, He is the light of the world, He is the gate and the good shepherd. He's already turned water into wine and healed the official's son from a distance. He's lifted up the lame man, fed 5,000 people, walked on water, given sight to a man born blind. I mean, come on. How much more evidence do the Jewish leaders need that Jesus really is the Messiah? God's anointed king, the one they've been waiting for. But the sad reality was that the Jewish leaders had still not yet believed. And it was becoming increasingly clear that there was one big reason as to why not. Jesus was not the type of Messiah they expected or wanted. Think about it. Jesus has been travelling through the land for some time now. On no occasion has he battled the Roman army. Instead, he challenged the Jewish leaders. At no point had he waved the nationalistic flag. Instead he spent his time welcoming foreigners like the Samaritan woman. Never had he been seen to promote religious zeal. In fact quite the opposite. When the woman caught in adultery was brought to him he absolved her. On the very day that the Jews were celebrating Hanukkah the comparison could not be any starker. Jesus was not like Judas the hammer. There was nothing very hammer-like about him. And this was cause for great disappointment and increasing resentment among the crowd. And this is the whirlwind of emotions that are swirling around as our passage begins. It's now up to Jesus to respond to their questions. Let's listen to what he said. The Jews who gathered there said, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you're the Messiah, tell us plainly. Jesus said, I did tell you, but you don't believe. The works I do in my Father's name testify about me, but you don't believe, because you're not my sheep. My sheep listen to my voice, and I know them, and they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. No one can snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. Now things start to become a little bit clearer. The reason that so many of the Jews have misunderstood Jesus was because they have got the enemy wrong. The greatest enemy of the people was not Rome, it was evil and sin and death and this is what Jesus has come to deal with Jesus explains this by returning to his analogy about the good shepherd do you remember in our last uh, sermon we talked about how the shepherd in Israel was a metaphor for the king a good shepherd was a king like David who cared for his people like the flock and jesus says here that he is a king like no other he has come to give eternal life to all who follow him he has come to defeat death he has come to defeat the wolves of evil the bible tells us again and again that the sole purpose of evil is to steal and kill and destroy well here jesus says that when under his care Nothing will be able to snatch the people from God's hand. This is real liberation. And this is only possible through this one king. The king who would lay down his life for the people rather than fight a war. An act of devotion even beyond that of Judas the hammer. This was the complete freedom that he and his father were working on together. Not freedom from Rome, but freedom from sin and evil and death. Because you see, when you deal with those, you subsequently free the people from all the other types of imprisonment. You free them from guilt and you free them from anxiety and you free them from low self-worth. Because they know they are loved and have an eternal destiny with God. Jesus is a liberator on a scale far greater than that of Judas. He has smashed the greatest enemies of the human race. And as a result, he invites us to follow him. But by the time we reach verse 31, there is no doubt that the Jewish leaders understand exactly what Jesus is saying. On the day that Hanukkah is being celebrated, there's no ambiguity here. Jesus' claims to be the good shepherd, the good king, a king beyond that of Judas the hammer, are hugely controversial. This is political dynamite and very dangerous. So the next thing we see is the crowd picking up rocks, ready to stone him to death. But despite the rocks that are about to come hurtling his way, Jesus calmly questioned his attackers once more. Jesus said to them, I've shown you many good works from my Father. For which of these do you stone me? We are not stoning you for any good work, they replied, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. You see, far beyond Jesus' claim to be a great king, a king who'd come to defeat evil and death, were those final words that he'd said in his statement. He had said that he and the Father are one. When Jesus says that, he seems to be uttering blasphemy in the deepest way. Jesus has claimed to be God. And that was worthy of death? Well, of course, if the claim wasn't true. And Jesus is now going to argue again that it is. Now, the next bit of our passage is complicated. There is no getting away from it. We're going to have to think about this, and I'm going to try and explain it as simply as I can. To understand what Jesus says next, we need to know a very particular chapter of the Old Testament. And the chapter we need is Psalm 82. Now we as Christians today, we don't know our Bibles very well, so Psalm 82 probably means nothing to us. But remember, to the Jews, the Psalms were their daily prayer book. They prayed them every single day. So a good Jew knows all the Psalms off by heart, and Jesus certainly did. So when Jesus quotes Psalm 82 here, his original leaders would have known exactly what he was talking about. Now let me tell us a little bit about what Psalm 82 says. Psalm 82 tells the story of God giving his people the law. Remember how back in Exodus, God made his will known to Moses on Mount Sinai? And in a way, when God gave the Jewish leaders the law... He'd made them a little bit like him. Their job was to now teach the law and uphold it in the land. And Moses and all those that followed him were were like God's personal representatives in the land. In other words, they had a God-like role. Or gods with a small g. But as the Old Testament continues, we see time and time again how these God-like leaders utterly fail they themselves they start ignoring god's law they start oppressing the vulnerable and siding with the powerful they start exploiting the poor for their own material advantage they start doing the very opposite of what god had called them to do and many of the people sadly started to copy them and eventually god was left with no choice he must act And Psalm 82 speaks of how God will remove these teachers. He will throw out the God-like leaders. He himself, the one true God, would come and humble them. And then here's the good bit. Psalm 82 finishes with a hint that he will replace them with himself. He would come and rule over the nation in person. This is what Psalm 82 is all about. It's a psalm about judgment and liberation. It's a psalm of hope for the poor and promise for the downtrodden. And we'll look at it at the Bible studies during the week. But now let's get back to John 10. Jesus has just claimed to be God. The religious leaders have said that's blasphemy. Jesus now quotes Psalm 82 and applies it to himself. Listen again, verse 34. Jesus said, Is it not written in your law, I have said, you are gods? If he called them gods to whom the word of God came, and scripture cannot be set aside, what about the one whom the Father set apart as his very own and sent into the world? Why do you accuse me of blasphemy because I said I am God's son? Do not believe me unless I do the works of my Father. But if I do them, even though you do not believe me, believe the works that you may know and understand that the Father is in me, and I am in the Father. Jesus believes that he is the perfect fulfillment of Psalm 82. He has come to judge the religious leaders in the land because they're leading the people so badly. He's going to judge them, and he's going to replace them with himself. The gods of Israel are going to be thrown out and replaced by the Son of God himself. The true Son of God isn't going to burden the people. He's not going to exploit the poor. He's going to set them free. And how will the people know that this is true? Because they will see with their own eyes what Jesus will do. Unlike the arrogant religious leaders, Jesus is going to keep every single word of God's law. He's going to fulfill all of its intentions. And as no human being in the history of time has ever managed to keep all of God's law, this is going to set him apart as God's son. He and the Father are one. The Father was in him, enabling him to do all that he was doing And Jesus finishes by pointing out that he and the Father are united in setting people free. Free from evil, free from death, free from corruption, free from the lies of the religious leaders who were oppressing them and making their lives difficult. Free from all the things that led the people away from God. Now, I know that's complicated and it's difficult because we don't know Psalm 82 very well. But I hope that we now have begun to get what Jesus has just said. Remember, this passage is taking place while Hanukkah is being celebrated. It marks the rededication of the Jerusalem temple. Jesus is saying that God has dedicated me to be the savior of the people. You no longer need a hero like Judas the hammer. You've got God's son himself. You no longer need a temple in Jerusalem to go there and to meet with God. Because I'm here. Right in your midst. You don't need to sacrifice an animal forgiveness anymore. You come to me. It is through me you'll hear God's word. It is through me that you approach God and worship him as he is due. Now some of the Jews were never going to be able to get their heads around this. And in verse 39 we see them again try to seize him and carry him away. But others were won over by his explanation. They saw how in Jesus all of the scriptures suddenly began to make sense. They saw how his actions backed up his words and they put their trust in him as their Lord and Saviour. I began this sermon by talking about freedom and just how precious it is. In this passage, Jesus is claimed to be our true liberator on a scale above and beyond any other revolutionary in human history like Judas the Hammer. Only Jesus can set us free from sin. Only Jesus can set us free from the power of evil. Only Jesus can free us from the clutches of death and the fear that death spreads across our lives. And he can do this because only he is the Son of God. I urge us tonight, put your full trust in him. Dedicate your life to following him. This is a hard road at times, but it will be worthwhile because Jesus said, my sheep, listen to my voice. I know them and they follow me and I give them eternal life. They shall never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand." May that promise bring freedom to all our anxieties tonight.